Top of the inning to you. Welcome to the Irish Baseball Podcast, brought to you by the Irish American Baseball Society. If you love baseball and if you love Ireland, stay tuned for a discussion of all things Irish baseball. Hello and welcome to episode 36 of the Irish Baseball Podcast. I'm your host, Rick Becker. One of the most underrated sporting events in the United States is going to be taking place next month, the College Baseball World Series. Teams are going to be leaving marks on their schools that will last for decades to come, leaving stories of glory for players, most of whom will never get to play in the big leagues. 2022 marks the 20th anniversary of one team that really outplayed expectations to make it all the way to Omaha. In 2002, Notre Dame put a team in the College Baseball World Series for only the second time in program history. To this day, the 1957 club is the only other fighting Irish team to make it that far in a season. Not only was Steve Stanley the speedy leadoff hitter and center fielder for that 2002 team, but he was also immortalized in the classic baseball book Moneyball when Billy Bean and the Oakland Athletics decided to take Stanley in the second round of the MLB first-year player draft. The analytics guys saw something in the Notre Dame senior that made them take him 48 rounds earlier than he was selected the previous year. We'll hear about all of that and more over the course of the next two episodes of the Irish Baseball Podcast, because my guest is Steve Stanley. Thanks for joining us. You got it. It's great to be here. So we're going to talk a lot about the 20th anniversary of your Notre Dame baseball team that made it all the way to the College World Series. But I want to start off with the fact that Notre Dame was not considered a baseball power when you decided to go there. Being from Ohio, what drew you to Notre Dame when the recruiting process was happening? That's a great question. I, you know, I was I was a lightly recruited junior slash senior. Um, so the three official visits that I took, if you're familiar with the recruiting end of it, you're allowed to take up to five official visits to uh, schools around the country. I took three. Um, at that time, I visited the lowly University of Virginia prior to Coach O'Connor being there. They were not well. They, they were kind of the doormat of the ACC at the time. And so I, I took a visit there. I took a visit to Ohio State in my backyard. And then I took a, a visit to Notre Dame. I think a lot of people anticipated that I would go to Ohio State. When I took my visit there, as well as Virginia, I, I liked both places. But I really wanted to go someplace that I felt they wanted me there. And I think, you know, every player can appreciate that, that they wanted to go someplace that, that they were wanted. And so when I went to Notre Dame, I, there was no question in my mind that Coach Maneri really wanted me to go to school there. And, and initially, you know, everybody thinks it's a, a sales process, you know, where everyone's trying to get you to go. But he was the same guy for four years as he was during my recruiting visit. You'll hear me talk and say he's by far the best college coach that I know of, uh, and, and um, I'm so thankful to have played for him. But, yeah, that's, that was why I went to Notre Dame. I did not have an affinity for the school prior to, but uh, definitely um, was very impressed by him. And then for some reason, you just got this great collection of players together at the right time. At a program that necessarily wasn't going to the College World Series all the time. I mean, it was only the second one in school history. So who were some of those players, if somebody listening doesn't know that team, 
why don't you talk about some of the other really, really solid players who are on that club? Yeah, absolutely. We had a, it was a really unique uh, recruiting class. We had, I believe, nine guys in my class, but guys like Paulo Tool, who was our catcher, uh, players like Andrew Bush, he was our third baseman. Uh, a guy that ended up being a transfer was a guy named Matt Bach. He was a big part of that program. Kenny Meyer was a kid from Florida. Matt Strickroth was a kid from uh, uh, Mission Viejo, California. Uh, we had other kids. Drew Duck was a, a pitcher from Tennessee. Um, Matt Buckmeyer, who made a big impact on our team, was also a pitcher from Indiana. And, and then we had another kid. He didn't play all the way through his senior year, but another kid, J.P. Drevline, who was from uh, Chicago. So there, there was a lot of great players um, that, that, that came and were part of my freshman class. Um, we were not a highly recruited class. Because most guys were probably like you would see, say, three-star guys. You know, we weren't we weren't highly touted. I think of all those guys, probably the most highly touted guy in our class was Paul O'Toole by 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 far. He could have easily gone to a, an ACC or an SEC school, and I think made an impact early. The rest of us were guys who I think were regional players that that a lot of people didn't think had a really high ceiling, and so um, you know, pretty lightly recruited guys. But man. Uh, special group and so our our group was pretty special and then coach mary just continued to add so that our group that went to the world series we were seniors and so the freshmen and the sophomores and the juniors made a big impact but you had guys like steve solman steve solman um you know our, our big two pitchers brant johnson uh he was a freshman chris niesel was a freshman and um, then you had guys on that team like John Axford and others. So there was there was a, a lot of great players on that team. Javi Sanchez was another one. Yeah. When you started to put the season together and you could tell you were going to do something special, did that happen early in the season? Or were you just going along for the ride come May and June when you were yeah. making runs? Great question. So, yeah, we, we started off the year, Rick, 9 and 10. We were 9 and 10 to start the year. And um, – that was really our worst start in the four years that I'd been there. And the reason we struggled so mightily, we had a number of key injuries, but then also we just, we, we, we weren't meshing. So when we would pitch well, we wouldn't hit. And when we hit, we wouldn't pitch well. And we just didn't start off well in the non-conference. We didn't start off well in, in, in the conference. We, we started off at West Virginia. At that time, we were in the Big East prior to Notre Dame being in the ACC. So we were in the Big East Conference. And we lost two or three games there. We also lost Brian Stavisky, who, forgive me, I haven't even mentioned him. He was a huge part of our team. He was a junior. Um, and he actually was hit in the face, and he broke an orbital bone. So we, we, we were out. We, he was going to be out three, four weeks as well. He was a huge part of our team. So we had a team meeting. We came together after that weekend. And really, it was senior-led. And it was, hey, guys, we don't want to go out this way. This is really – we've had – Three great years, the culmination of which we wanted to be a, a super regional team. And um, and we ended up winning from from there. I believe we won 30 of 35 games. And we just went on this tear. And we just continued to get better. And one of the things that Coach Maneri's teams were known for is that they would peak at the right time. And that team was definitely in that category. And then what was the experience like just going to the College World Series? It was unlike any other uh, experience that I'd had up until that 
time. And then even after that, in my professional career, I would say that for a lot of ball players, it, it's the culmination of their baseball career. And it was for me uh, to play in front of 25,000 people was I had never played probably in front of other than Mississippi State, which was a, a very great experience, a unique experience as well. I'd never played in an environment like that. And man, it was it was just incredibly special to have people come out and support us the way that they did and really just have I, I, I would describe it this way. I had never played in a baseball field, park, have you uh, stadium where it sounded like being at a football game. And that was the first time that I had ever experienced that. And I loved it. I relished every moment. Very, very thankful for it. And it was, uh, it was like I said, the pinnacle of my baseball career. So It was also a really great time to be a part of Notre Dame Athletics. I don't think a lot of people realize this, but the women's basketball team had just won the national championship. The men's basketball team was pretty good at that time. And a lot of people really, really forget this, but the first year of Coach Willingham at Notre Dame football, there was a lot of excitement going on at that time. What was it like being a part of all of this energy? It just felt like every season Notre Dame was making a run at something then. It did. And, and honestly, you know, being a part of that, I think we fed off of each other. A lot of those teams, there was just great energy uh, amongst really on campus in general. Um but you mentioned it, you know, I don't know of another time for me where there was success as much as we had across as many sports as we were having it. That, you know, the women's soccer team was fantastic at the time, too. Um, you know, hockey was just up and coming. They've become better even since then. But, you know, I, I would say it was just a fun time to be on campus. It was a great environment. And and, and really, um just like you said, I mean, we were not well known. We were not supposed to go to the World Series. We were not really. We were kind of a we would always crack the top 25 kind of team. That's what we were. We were definitely not a top 10 team. And for the next, I want to say, four or five or six years, Coach Mary had them in the top 10 almost every single year. And so the expectation was then to get to a regional, super regional, and then the World Series, and obviously it didn't happen again. But And to go along with the excitement of making the College World Series, that's also then when the draft happens. So all of this is going on. You're trying to make this run with your college team, and then all of a sudden you find out you're going to be in the Oakland A's organization. What's that <laughs> yeah. like? How do you stay focused on playing baseball when you know this dream that you've had your entire life is about to come true. Yeah, it, exactly right. And it was pretty, it was, it was an, an kind of an interesting story and, and a neat story. My, so coach Maneri called me um, and I was actually, I had just gotten married. So uh, my wife, Brooke and I had just gotten married the second semester of my senior year. So we were in an apartment in South Bend. And it was prior to the uh, Super Regional. So we had just finished the Regional with Ohio State. We had just beaten them to go to the, the Super Regional, which was going to be in Tallahassee. And so we were about to go to practice. I think it was the night before. And Coach Maneri called me and he said, are you sitting down? And I said, uh, yeah. I mean, I thought somebody had died or I didn't know what had happened. Of course, I, you know, so I said yes. And he said, I just got a call from the Oakland A's and they're prepared to take you in the second round of the draft. Now, so most people may, they don't know the story. 
I had been drafted in the 50th round my my junior year, which is the last at that time was the last round of the draft by the Florida Marlins, and it was a a courtesy pick by Coach Mary's father Demi, who was a scout at the time for the Florida Marlins, and he he felt that I was going to be really discouraged if I hadn't been drafted at all. So they took me. They knew I would go back, but he did it as kind of a favor. And so to go from being a 50th round pick to a second round pick is really pretty unheard of. And um, it was that money ball draft. And so, you know, a lot of those guys were they, you know, they called us the misfit toys. That was, you know, I was one of those guys. My, you know, my build was I was 5'8 and 155 pounds. And so, you know, at that time, you know, now it's Altuve and Bregman and other guys like that that, you know, are not huge that play the game. But at that time, it was these huge hulking guys, you know, Barry Bonds, the height of the steroid era and so forth. And so for them to take a chance on me was was unique. So he says, are you sitting down? I said, yeah. So he, he says they're prepared to take you in the second round. So I actually started screaming. I was so excited. And my neighbor called the cops because he thought I was actually beating my <laughs> wife. So, which, which, I mean, obviously we, we laugh about it. You know, that couldn't be further from the truth. But, um, you know, it was it was so exciting. And then the next day he said, but keep your keep, you know, um, keep your composure because we don't know, you know, all these things can change. And so when I was at practice the next day, he actually waved me in from center field and told me they had just drafted me. So it was a pretty special weekend. And you mentioned the Moneyball draft, and I don't know if a lot of people know this, but you are actually mentioned in Moneyball, where they talk sort of in depth about why they made the decision to pick you maybe a little higher than some other teams had you on their draft board. Could you talk about that a little? Yeah, absolutely. I I really felt like in that particular case, Rich Sparks was the regional scout um, who was in charge in the Midwest. So he was in charge of the picks that they took, which their number one pick was Nick Swisher that year. Joe Blanton was the next pick. And so Rich was in charge of a lot of those guys because Swisher went to Ohio State. Blanton went to University of Kentucky, and I went to Notre Dame. And then they ended up drafting Stavisky in the sixth round as well. And so he was in charge of a number of those picks. I think even Steve Obenchain was one of the guys they took in the first round, and he was a, he was a kid from Evans, uh, Evansville. Really, they, they thought that because of my on-base percentage and because of my eye at the plate, um, they couldn't have cared less about me stealing bases. Honestly, I don't even think they, hold, they thought a whole lot about me playing center field. They, they felt like it was my on-base that was really going to, to drive me having success in, in professional baseball. And, you know, they that was why they drafted me. And I, I was very thankful that that was one of the things that I was able to have success with um, even through my early baseball was, was getting on base. And so they didn't care about size to them. It was all about, can this guy get on base? And that was, that was why they drafted me the way they did. So our people have read the book. They've seen the movie. Was it that prevalent once you were in that minor league system where they pounding that into you, get on base, get on base, get on base. Great question, and yes, they were. And in fact, I remember having a conversation with the minor league hitting director at the time. The his name was he was a guy named Dave Hudgens, and Dave is still very involved. He's he was the hitting coach for the Houston Astros during their World Series run. 
Uh, I think most recently he was in the Toronto Blue Jays organization, but at that time he was um, the minor league hitting director for Oakland. And I remember having a conversation with him during the year, and he said, Steve, if you want to make it to the big leagues, the number that you need to get to is 420. 420. If, you, if you're if you on base, is 420. You will be in the big leagues. Now, that was a magic number I never got to. I was usually right around 390 was my on base. Uh, I hit my career average was right around 300 in the minor leagues, but I couldn't ever get that number to 420. And I think that's one of the reasons why I never got there was that they really were looking that. And so they were, it's interesting that you asked though, they were so religious on that, that it was like, if a guy got to that point, he's now on the radar screen. And so, yes, they definitely employed that. It wasn't something they just said. It was something they did, yeah. We will have more with former Notre Dame baseball standout Steve Stanley in episode 37 of the Irish Baseball Podcast when he will talk about his decision to leave professional baseball while he was still a legitimate prospect in the athletics organization. We'll discuss how he stays a Notre Dame fan even while residing in Ohio State Buckeye country, and he will go more in-depth into how much respect he still has for his college baseball coach. I'm Rick Becker. For more content surrounding baseball, genealogy, Ireland, and a host of other topics, visit us online at irishbaseball.org. You can also help the Baseball United Foundation in their efforts to bring the game we love to the island we love by visiting BaseballUnitedFoundation.org. This has been episode 36 of the Irish Baseball Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Irish Baseball Podcast. The Irish Baseball Podcast is a production of the Irish American Baseball Society. Visit us online at irishbaseball.org and connect with us on social media. And remember, there's no place like home.